Hello, beautiful human. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. We're stoked to have you be a part of the conversation changing shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. This show was created to have us open our minds and learn about new perspectives even when we don't agree with them. Please be advised. Episodes can discuss content that is not suitable for all listeners and it can be triggering. Opinions of our guests expressed on the show are their own. They do not necessarily represent the views of myself or the show. There are a few ways we could really use your support. Please share your favorite episode, especially send them to someone that could really use the content we talked about. Donate on PayPal and Patreon. Subscribe and rate the show iTunes and Spotify and follow on social media and join the conversation. It's shit to talk about. That's shit. The number two talk about links are in the episode description. Hey, Mana, 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 Trice, money, like, I know you tried (laughs) telling me how to do it. I'm and y'all for our listeners, I do want to call out. I am horrible, horrible, horrible at names. And it's, Definitely not from lack of trying because people do correct me. I have a really hard time pronouncing and remembering how to pronounce because I never phonetically learned how to sound out words. So at least that's my, like the reason I think it is. So continue to correct me. Please do. Please introduce yourself. Thank you for joining shit you don't want to talk about. Please introduce yourself and what shit you want to talk about today. Awesome. All right. So my name, let's start there. (laughs) Uh, I go by money because everyone's butchered it all my life. But if you say money trees really quick, that's how you say it. And if you're my mom who's watching, uh, it's Monitress. <laughs> Monitress. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm in trouble, she enunciates everything. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah, money. But, hey, yeah. money. Hey. So today, wow. We're going to talk about my journey. Um, studying abroad, living abroad, working abroad. And all the little things that came with it over these past six years. Shit. And I think that's, <laughs> that's definitely something, uh, so many, I would say specifically, uh, those from the U S don't really comprehend because in, in my opinion, the U S kind of lives in a bubble of definitely. everybody else in the world kind of knows what's going on in the U S but the U S doesn't know what's going on in the rest of the world. Definitely. And experience in another culture is, how would you say it is experiencing another culture? Where did you study abroad? Right. So I don't know if you could say culture, but (laughs) coming to England was very interesting to say the least. Like um, the, well, I don't even know where to start with that, but basically coming here, opened up my eyes, opened up my world. It got me out of my shell. Uh, I came over here not knowing a soul, didn't come with any family or anything. It's literally just me. Still to this day, it's just me. You know, my parents have come to visit. Um, I've made friends here, wonderful, beautiful souls I've met. But um, but yeah, it was definitely a move that I needed to make to get out of my shell, get out of my comfort zone. And I'm proud of myself. It's, And I, I remember you telling me you're from Atlanta. So yep. tell us how you ended up in England. Right. So I got a call at 3 (laughs) a.m. from a childhood friend and he called me with an English accent and he's like, meet me at Waffle House. I'm like, it's 3 a.m. and I haven't heard from you in two years. Where have you been? He's like, trust me, just meet me. Okay, cool. So I go there, we talk and he's like, look, I don't know what you're doing in life, but I know that you're not happy. Go to school. And I'm like, I don't want to go to school. (laughs) Um, I went to a college prep 
um, private Christian school. And because of how people were and I just, school, higher education was never really my thing. I said, no, nah, I'm going to go to military and, you know, just get out of here. And life just was different. So, um, so yeah, we talked about it. He sat down with me. We worked through numbers together. He helped me with applications as well. And I always questioned him. I was like, why would I go all the way across the pond to school? Like, it doesn't make sense. He's like, no, trust me, it's going to make sense. Now, six years later, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that's how everything started. I had to go back and take my ACT. Um, I had not been in school for five years at this point. So it was all difficult um, getting my passport for the first time, having to apply for a visa, all these costs and stuff. And, um, and I would say out of everything, my dad, he was like super supportive. He was like, okay, like you're going to do this. You're going to be great. And my mom didn't want to hear it. <laughs> she was just like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, I've always been the, the child to stay like close to home. Um, and you know, I was just kind of like always within driving distance. So saying that I'm going all the way to another country was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And now you mentioned your dad and, uh, how your mom just, they both came across so different. And okay. I re- I remember your mom, not really believing you that you're going to go. And I believe you said you got your visa and everything ready. And she still didn't think you were going. Yeah. She still didn't think I was going. I was like, mom, I need a ride to the airport because like I'm leaving. <laughs> and then she started crying. So it was like very emotional up there at the end. Um, I was actually late coming to school because I, at the time I couldn't pay for um, my plane ticket. So my best friend, he helped me out and I was able to get over there. And, and I did understand that there's so many different things that come when you're doing like student loans um, in international schools. Like you don't see your money until like three months later. So highlight that. But, <laughs> and I didn't know, they, it's not something that they told me. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of a struggle, but yeah. She, she finally got with the program and they were really proud of me. They called me, video called every day. So it was, it ended up being a good thing in the end. <laughs> and you moved there six years ago. Oh, so if I can math, let's see, it's 2022. So you moved there in 2016? 2015. So it'll be six years. Um, yeah, it'll be, no, it'll be seven years in October. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And is your childhood friend still out in uh, England? No. So... When he called me, he was actually coming back because uh, he had a job offer, but he wasn't really feeling it. So he came back and he's like, look, you should go over there. This is why it's going to make sense. Yeah. So he's uh, he's back in the States now. Okay. And what did you go to school for? Um, so he, he ended up doing architecture. He's what about finishing... yourself? Oh, myself. Okay. Um, so I've got three degrees at this point. <laughs> Wait, what? For somebody yeah. not liking school? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I've always wanted to, I, I love learning. I grew up watching modern Marvel, um, how it's made. I love that kind of stuff. It was really cool. And even like, as an adult, I had a job at Unilever. So I got to see these things. Um, but I've always been interested in technology. Like that stems from my dad. Like he's taught me everything I know basically. And I've always had an interest there and, um, knowing that technology is always evolving. I know that I wasn't going to get bored. So my first degree is a bachelor's of engineering in computer science. And your second? 
uh, master's of science in creative technology. <laughs> okay. And third, yeah. <laughs> a master's of science in robotics. Uh, okay. And yeah. I know you and I talked about the tech a bit during our intro call, because mm-hmm. when we spoke, I believe I was still employed at an API company and, uh, the very, very basic way of saying what an API is to our listeners is it's how two programs talk to each other. And uh, one thing that I love about APIs is they're still about human connection because as a coder, you have to be able to make it so somebody else can read it and it works. And then with APIs, especially if it's public, they have to be able to be documented so somebody else can implement it with their software. So it's, it's very much human connection oriented, even though it's completely tech. And please, like dive in, like in the tech world, like, what do you do? So I call myself a creative technologist. Um, a what? A creative technologist. <laughs> so I know it, it sounds crazy. And it's a term that's like recently been coined as well. Um, so after I did my bachelor's, I knew very quickly, I did not want to get into security, networking, none of that. It's just boring. It's just not. <laughs> I wanted to be creative. So all of my sort of creative modules, I, I stuck to and I, I worked really hard in them. Um, and one day I was sitting um, and just trying to figure out life. Like my head was everywhere. And I was like, I need to find something that has to do with technology that's creative, but also broad. And when I tell you it had to be the universe, because <laughs> the next thing that came up on my computer screen was a creative technologist uh, master's. So when I read about it, I was like, this is what I want to do. And that's what I do now. So being a creative technologist, I have learned how to do processes literally from start to finish. So from mind mapping to prototyping to coding, um, programming to the finished product. And um, I've done some really cool work with like external clients as well. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) that's what a creative technologist does. And what do you do with the robotics now that you have its creative technology robotics, right? So with the robotics, it's actually completely different. Um, okay. I was not going to go back to school. <laughs> you keep going uh, back, though. <laughs> I, I keep going back. I mean, if I could do a PhD, listen, if anybody's out there and there's a fully funded PhD, I'll go for it. But right now, I need a break. <laughs> um, but no, so the robotics part came, uh, well, this is like COVID happened. So I had to take a, a gap year. Uh, again, trying to figure out my life. I don't know if I want to go back to school, if I want to go straight into work or what. And um, yeah, I decided to go back. Uh, there was a a woman of color, um, sort of like Instagram, they highlight a lot of women of color, like in sex tech. And that's exactly what I want to get into next. Uh, and she, sex tech. So like anything that has to do with like devices or education, anything like that. Like sex um, tech, like we're talking about sexy time tech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just, you know, like everything around tech. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just had to clarify. So sexy yeah. time. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Sex time or kids, yep. sex tech. So I didn't even yep. know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I got my inspiration from her and she created a device that's a wearable. Um, so like in the LGBT community, you've got different devices, um, even prosthetics as well. Some people, they pack. Um, these are just terms that I'm throwing out there. Uh, but this in particular, um, for people that wear like 
can I talk about this? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I'm curious. I'm like, okay. wait, what? This is a thing? Yeah, yeah. So for people that wear strap-ons during uh-huh. sexy time, um, the biggest problem that, and I, I also have personally, is putting on the harness. Like, it is just so, it's so long. <laughs> but anyway, so she wanted to kind of like, create something where you didn't have to worry about that. And that's exactly what she's done. Like her work is amazing. Um, so yeah, it's app controlled. It's a prosthetic. You can wear it when just, you know, when time is time, time is time. <laughs> and so her inspiration was just like, well, she wanted to be able to have sexy time with her wife anywhere. And so that's why she's created the device. But, um, but I was like, I want to know, I want to learn how to do stuff like this. And that's how I got into robotics. <laughs> I'm seeing the connection. I'm seeing the connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm also like, I totally went there and I'm like trying to picture it too, because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's very (laughs) creative. That's also like completely out of left field for me because, and that's the part I love about this podcast is learning so much about what else there is in the world, because, uh, just you going to England, I know my time in England, like words like fanny pack is not a thing. Like you're talking about a batch. Um, (laughs) then, uh, spunky don't say spunky because (laughs) it's a dude's jizz. Like, it's not like, these are words that I now like fanny pack. I'm like, okay with, because it's a a very, very commonly used word in the U S yet when somebody says, Oh, you're so spunky. I'm like, yeah. Like, Oh, (laughs) I get you. And, and there's, there's, uh, at least during my time, there was like very, very, I have spent time in like Peru and Bulgaria and Romania and Germany and England. And even though the language is the same, you drive on different sides of the street yep. <laughs> and there, from where I am in the U S there isn't as much public transportation. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of learning about public transportation also yeah. the education as you could probably talk to about way more is very different because they have mm-hmm. prime is it secondary wait yep primary first, school primary, yeah, primary secondary, school, secondary and, university. and college well they have college and then they have university what's college yeah so college is like you know how in the US from like 16 to 18 you're finishing like your junior senior year so yeah. They don't do that. They just go to college and they can like specialize in certain areas um, and either go into apprenticeship or they can use whatever college credit they have and go into university. Oh, it it makes so much sense over here. Like (laughs) that's another thing that I apprenticeships like that's Mm -hmm. something that uh, I saw throughout a lot of Europe that I didn't see um, in the U.S. And it's also all the different accents like, oh. It matters where you are, especially just in the London area itself. Like there's many English accents I can understand. Yeah. And then somebody will come up and I'll be like, what did you just say to me? Right. They're from, Same way. It's like a different dialect of it. And yeah. now you're, so not only do you have these subtle changes, like one-to-one, they don't sound like that big of a deal. I know I was traveling by myself, so I didn't know how to call an Uber. Because, Uh, and I ended up walking with my suitcase, like two miles to my, um, Airbnb and Mm -hmm. like how things function. Like I had to learn how to dial internationally. 
These are all yeah. very, very small things, but these small things can add up and become very, very stressful, let alone you're starting at a new school in something that you like didn't even imagine months beforehand. So mm-hmm. what was that experience like, like integrating into, uh, you know, English culture? Yeah. So, wow. Um, thinking about it is it was a struggle. <laughs> like there's no real language barrier, but the dialects are very interesting. I remember getting in the cab um, to go to the bus station that I had to go to. And this guy's talking to me and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. And he didn't know what I was saying. Like now I speak with like my words are very much more enunciated. But if you've ever heard anybody from Atlanta, you can <laughs> you understand that like it's, it's a whole nother like dialect. <laughs> so learning, I don't even want to call it code switching, but learning how to enunciate words. Um, and then the British cultures, I don't know, it's quite interesting because where I was, um, the first school I went to was in Cambridge and Cambridge is like literally a melting pot. So you've got people from all over the world. Um, so that part was amazing because I feel like in the States, like, yes, you have your areas, but they're very quick, like very clicky, if I, if I can call it that. Um, but here it's just like, look, nobody's at home. Nobody has family here. We're all family. So like that in itself was my experience. Um, coming over, you know, here. I think if I came here to work, it would be different. You get me? So, um, so yeah, just having that sort of like being, being able to experience cultures from different parts of the world versus the actual British culture was, uh, was interesting. I can only imagine. And I know for myself, like, uh, and I did go for work. So the drinking, I don't know how it is in Atlanta, but like, (laughs) you drink a shit ton and yeah yeah. (laughs) it's like you just get used to drinking because when I was first there I was such a lightweight and then by the time like I was only in Europe for three months but I can throw them back like I was good and (laughs) now I'm just like a glass of wine I'm gonna be so tipsy yeah (laughs) because I've been back in the U.S. for so long and Mm. it's it's fascinating how the cultures differ so much, even though we speak the same, technically speak the same language. And now you talked about going to school and then you found a job. And we've talked about a few things that I think make it a very interesting time to go to school there and then start in the workforce is not only you are an American, which being an American in another country, at least from my experience, is difficult because people don't necessarily like Americans Mm -hmm. and there is a stigma against you're American. I don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And that is one thing to overcome. You're also a woman of color in tech and being queer and women in tech just in general. So you kind of are starting to see like, like I'm seeing a picture of just like, all these hurdles like in front of you that are just like stacking against you and getting higher. How are you, how, what was your experience with that? Wow. It was interesting. So, I mean, where do I start? (laughs) Um, Being queer, I never put it out there because I was just like, look, it's already bad enough that I'm a woman of color and I experienced things that a lot of women in tech don't experience. So I kept a lot of that. So a lot of those things 
very personal. Like I would never tell anybody, um, even my partners that I've had over here, like never really brought them around work drinks per se. Um, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's my friend, you know? <laughs> and oh, yeah. 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 Cause like, it was always the case where I just, I didn't want it to affect my work, unfortunately. Um, now that has changed since I've been over here. Uh, I am in a really good space where like I can be myself. Um, I don't have to worry about like hiding anything. Um, I'm also not very like, like flamboyant or anything. I don't know how you want to call it. I don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like I'm, I'm very much comfortable in the skin that I'm in. And then also being queer and recently coming out to my parents as well. Uh, the past, that's been, it's been about three years. So. Yeah. But that is definitely, I, I, I am heterosexual. So I, I, I can't relate in that fact, but I can only imagine how scary that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, again, with, also with women of color, um, I, I'm a woman in tech and I've been a woman in tech sales and I know how much of a struggle it was for me. And I know the women of color that I associated with, I saw how they could get like women in general do get passed over or not heard, but even more so, mm-hmm especially I would say, um, black women of, well, she's just being mean to me and like those type of things when they weren't, they were totally like normal and nice yeah. and great. <laughs> and yeah. it's, and then also having like to hide yourself from that. How did you see, did you deal with these, um, issues in school or did it show up only in the workplace? So it did happen um, only like very, very slightly in school. And that's because the only, re- the only like incident, like big incident that happened was um, when I was in class and I, I tend to dress like more masculine presenting sometimes. I, I kind of go in between the boat. It just depends on the day, <laughs> really, for me. Uh, and so I had a teach a uh, lecturer, and he would be like, he would call me sir, ma'am, and I'm just like, why? You know, I'm the only female in the class, but he would d- he would just do that, and I'm like, there's no reason to do that. Just call me ma'am or call me by my name. You know, it was really weird. Uh, and then the other time that I experienced it was when I was um, doing something for the University of Cambridge. So they've got like a bunch of like different uh, colleges. So I experienced it there too. And I'm just like, that's why I shied away and stopped saying that, oh yeah, you know, I'm queer. They already can see I'm a woman of color, but I just, I stopped. So yeah. And then in the workplace, there was a couple of internships where I experienced some um, discrimination, unfortunately. And, you know, it was just more like, oh, are you the secretary? It's like, no, I've got a whole two degrees that you don't have, <laughs> yeah. you know, so being, being downplayed in that sense and experience that it, it kind of hurt, but then like I've experienced discrimination all my life. So it's just like, oh, I want this to change. And I've seen things unravel piece by piece, but it's just like, it's a very like slow sort of thing. Yeah. Letting that one sink in. That is something that I think a, a lot of people don't even comprehend mm-hmm. how these microaggressions show up because so many people in in my opinion they are they say things like uh yo I'm not racist or I'm not you know 
sexist or any of those yet mm-hmm. it, society has taught us these microaggressions that show up like calling you sir ma'am or are you the secretary or mm-hmm. all of those from my understanding are considered microaggressions that really slowly give someone and marginalized communities enough paper cuts that you can bleed out yeah definitely definitely and what would you say and I don't know, like I get that women in tech and specifically women of color in tech and the LGBTQ plus community in tech is so important, yet uh, I don't, just being a woman of in tech, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I would have wanted to go down this route. Like um, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily my chosen route. I just kind of ended up here okay. and for those, because we really do need to encourage younger generations to go into STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. What would you say to your younger self to encourage you to pursue this? Wow. Just, uh, just get out there. I didn't understand that for a long time. Um, that's what I mentioned earlier, like it coming here really got me out of my shell. And so to my younger say to my younger self, I would be like, okay, well, you need to just get it done. Like it's, it's, everything's going to work out in the end. I promise you. <laughs> what did you do in Atlanta before you moved to the UK? Um, so I was working at a factory. Yeah, I did um, a lot of manufacturing work, but it's because it's like easy money and I needed the money at the time <laughs> to pay for stuff. So <laughs> So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Completely random and not even related. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. And now you talked about uh, going back a little bit. And I think it's a very important topic that we touched on that you mentioned very briefly is you said going from the US to the UK wasn't necessarily code switching, but you definitely had to learn the different dialects. Could yeah. you explain to us? what code switching is and where you've seen that show up in your life that you've had to do that? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, in school at the workplace before where I am now, of course. Um, but it's just because like, it's not even a, Oh, they don't understand me. It's more of a, they see me as aggressive. So I felt like, and a lot of like, even from a very young age that I've had to quote unquote code switch in order to get my point across or to be heard unfortunately. So, um, so I've been called all kinds of names and, oh, you speak white. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, I'm just enunciating my words, you know, or, or I use bigger words because I did used to use like, used to like read the dictionary or have like vocab books and stuff. And that was just my interest. So it's like, I'm laughing That's because you just said, read the dictionary. And I'm like, yeah. that was my worst <laughs> nightmare right there. Cause I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I was always like, I don't know, I was I was that weird kid. <laughs> no, it, but it's, it's I just not, love to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's a beautiful thing. So please, like, uh, if you're saying you're the weird kid as giving yourself a prop up, then I love it. But if it's like <laughs> just calling yourself out and going, "How is the weird kid?" Uh, no, dude, you were like the coolest because that really set you up for success. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. The way that I've understood code switching is you touch point on it of talking white mm-hmm. or. Um, because so many different marginalized communities, and this could be from our um, 
Asian minorities, our Hispanic minorities, and they're not even really minorities here in the U.S. anymore. They are literally all the quote unquote minorities take up more than 50% of the population. But anyway, um, code switching a lot of times is breaking that down to talking more white. And a lot of times that's considered talking more educated, mm-hmm. like, um, or dressing more white. I've also heard that come across as code switching and yeah. where that is very difficult because a, like so many people just have to learn how to do it naturally and don't even realize that they're doing it. We all kind of code switch. Like, you know, you may not talk to the CEO as company uh, at the company as much as you would talk to your best friend in the same type of language, right, same right. type of word structure. Yet that's not the same as having to specifically talk to a different race differently right. or to be able to be heard at work. I can only imagine, especially being in tech, uh, at least it used to be, I'm not sure if it still is where it was mainly educated white dudes yeah. and then having to switch to be able to communicate with them better. Has that yeah. shown up a lot for you in the workplace that way with code switching? Um, not recently. Like I, I have been blessed to be, be in better spaces where I don't have to worry about that. You know, um, now there, there, of course, like how you mentioned about like, talking to a CEO in a business meeting versus your friend, like, yes, of course, like the language is going to change, but I don't feel like I have to change myself <laughs> and, you know, and how I, how I like bring things across. So um, I'm trying to think, I think uh, it was a few years ago where I was working with an external client client and it was kind of like the same thing. Like it was, in fact, it was the situation with, Oh, are you the secretary? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was just like, wow. <laughs> But um, yeah, they, I don't know why they thought I was going to be the second. Okay, whatever. I, I was doing a whole internship there. I should have been introduced like appropriately, but that wasn't the case, obviously. Um, so I did like experience that. Uh, but I, another thing I want to bring up is working in tech and especially with uh, software engineers and coding and stuff. Um, there has been like this big thing about, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but a master versus a child class and how they're trying to like work to to use better terms because like what do you mean a master you know that that's and and African Americans and black people like no that's not what we're about to do and with a, with us coming into tech more like we want to change those terms so um so that's that's like another thing as well I've I've I don't know if I've heard necessarily that exactly I've heard uh, at least for myself, where it's like the child, the parent, and then the master, where mm-hmm. the master is like the, the master, the, I'm using the terminology, like the one true, like version. There we go. That that's the master is the one true version, like uh, master copy kind of thing. No, and no. Then, so this is different. Yeah. Okay. This is yes. different. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then no, I don't know. I, you know, I know some tech, <laughs> but not all the tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to do with like more with, um, with coding and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's just like things like that, but it's just, it's so good to see representation and, and tech. And that's really why I continue. That was one of my biggest pushes is I want to be an impact to somebody because this is who I needed when I was 15, 16 year old, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to do anything, but make quick money, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's part of my inspiration. 
And that's amazing. And, and you talked about your inspiration that you saw on Instagram. Uh, what was her name again? Um, so her name is Glenise Kennard Moore. All right. We're totally going to look her up and put her in yeah. the show notes as well. Like need to give her a shout out because definitely that, that is a woman of color in tech that is starting to change the sex tech. First yes. off, totally didn't know that was a thing before. <laughs> like I, like I can, it makes sense. Like I probably knew that it existed, but I don't think I've ever mm-hmm. talked about it. Like I've been to the only places that I've seen openly shown any type of sex toys or anything like that has been like the prides that I've gone to okay like parades and yeah. pride events um where I'm not they're, they're probably out there I just don't know them um of other events that would have that out there as much mm-hmm. so what is your draw to sex tech like what do you imagine that you want to help change in that world because it is so important to talk about and to change and to be able to make it more accessible for others yeah yeah so my biggest things is um inclusiveness representation and um and yeah just being like I the thing that draw that drew me in is that I didn't know about my body (laughs) like my mom didn't have me didn't have to talk with me I didn't go to sex ed like that just wasn't a thing especially being in a Christian private school like no you don't (laughs) not and even now like I'm still learning about my body but what piqued my interest the most is that it's more than just pleasure you know, um, a lot of things come around sex with, oh gosh, even like trauma, different things like that. Um, there was things that I experienced as a young, like a teenager that I didn't understand until later on in my life that, oh, that wasn't okay. You know, and this is probably why I am the way that I am in my relationships. So processing that and, um, and just wanting to be educated there's no represent, there's almost, there's next to no representation of women of color and sex ed. And um, I don't know if you've seen it, but a few months back, it might've actually been a year about now. Um, there was an illustrator that did a, um, a, a black woman giving birth. And it was just like, oh my God, we've never seen this. Black women don't give birth. Like, what do you mean? We've never seen a black woman in a book being illustrated, giving birth. So this is amazing, you know, to see yeah. this representation. This is what we need. And that's, um, that's definitely the impact that I want to have in sex tech, um, whether it's a, something that I create on my own. I've actually, um, I'm currently working on an app for that. So it's just like, I want to have an impact, you know. Um, that is really beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's time. It's overdue. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I started giving you a funny look because you started seeing that people were reacting like they never saw a black woman give birth. And I'm like, wait, they've been giving birth for like a gazillion million years, yeah. but it makes it's more sense time. in illustration uh, that I was like, oh, okay. That makes yeah. Sense. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you said it that way, but I wasn't like computing it that way that I'm like, oh, wait, that totally makes way more sense. And that, yeah, that's yeah. like such a beautiful thing. Um, you mentioned about the trauma part. And I know for myself, I eventually want to be able to have like sex experts. And mm-hmm. now that I'm learning about sex tech, probably that on to the yeah. podcast, because it should, I personally don't want to talk about yet. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm still dealing with the trauma that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And as much as I'm working in therapy to work through these issues and to get over it, I know that it's not healthy for me to push myself that hard just to 
because I'm, I am curious about it yet at the same time, I still have a lot of unresolved shame, but I can't say exactly where the shame came from. Um, I was sexually abused from the age of eight to 10 and I've also been raped and it's, um, it's the type of thing that I can say it very like nonchalantly, like, yeah, this happened to me, no problem. Yet Mm -hmm. it really does show up in mine and my partner's relationship because Mm -hmm. it's been hard for me to learn, to trust him, to just touch my leg in a intimate, like intimate in the fact of just to be there, not a, just trying to get some kind of way, like, um, or that he's safe, even though he's a guy like Mm -hmm. there's, and we've been together for four years. Like this is stuff that I'm, he's been very patient through that I'm working on yet. I think it's something that is really, really not brought up. So I do my, my own like influence on a industry that I didn't know existed till like 20 minutes ago. I think it'd be really cool if sex tech really did help with sexual trauma Definitely. and like how to help work through it because it's, it's something that so many, it is mainly women that have gone through it, but yet men have too. Yeah. And teaching men that women's bodies are not just like their play toys and they don't just get what they want <laughs> just because right. they said so, you know, and that I, I feel like you're doing such a beautiful thing with going into that industry. Uh, what would you say to anybody curious about sex tech? Like I'm almost like, I, I feel like I don't Google a lot of that world. I would say like okay. the, the sex world because then it it like brings up so much porn and I'm like, I don't want to see porn. I want to (laughs) learn about, you know, like overcoming things or just like the, how to create more intimacy or like to try to get myself to work through some of this. Yet it comes up with like all the nasty stuff. And I'm like, dude, Mm -hmm. it's not helpful right now. Um, So how would people look into this if this is something that they're interested in? Definitely. So, um, and this came with research. When I was doing robotics, I was very upfront with my lecture, like, hey, I want to get into sex tech. I know I'm a woman of color. I'm like, it was me, myself, and um, another woman. Other, or other, the rest of the cohort was men. <laughs> and he was so supportive. I like, I was, I told my partner at the time, I was like, I'm sweating right now because I'm going to tell this man that I want to get into sex tech, that I want to talk about sex and use robotics to do it. <laughs> So, um, so it was just like a lot of that support that got me to where, you know, where I wanted to be. And, um, and I would say that through my research, I came across, I, I know her first name is Cindy. I can't think of her last name right now, but she actually created this platform that is, it's porn, but it's like, it's so intimate because it's like real couples. So they show you how they love each other. They show you, you know, what they do just out, like out, outside of sex. I guess, you know, you'll find things that's about sex, but it's very educational, which is nice. Cause like in porn, there's always like this stigmatism and then like, oh, society, your, you know, your parts need to look like this and, you know, your partners need to do this to you. And it's just like, there, it's all acting, you know, it's not real. So with her creating that sort of platform um, to be an educational tool, but also to show like, hey, this is how you be intimate. This is how you can have pleasure. You know, this is how you do this if you want to try something new. Like 
starting there was a really eye that was a big eye opener even being queer and um because he had queer couples on there that um that yeah they would do their thing and show you how to do it <laughs> and everything so it was just a, a really like like I said it was an eye opener to start there and um and then I started coming across like instagrams that would talk about um you know how to deal with traumas and I met some really great people as well in my research and also doing hackathons so so yeah it's just about I mean using social media to your advantage you know yeah you can find porn like everywhere unfortunately but finding those real stories they're out there I I promise you you just gotta search for them (laughs) that's that's I love that I love that and so we've talked a lot about like sex tech and like what you would say to yourself as your younger self, especially as a woman going into tech, a woman of color going into tech, what would you say to someone that's wanting to go abroad? Like, what would you say, like, if you could make like a pros and cons list? Because <laughs> I, I would say that I was very, something that I really struggled with. And I'm not sure if you've been to any third world countries, but when I I adapted really well to being in a third world country, yet I had a really hard time going back to the U.S. Okay. Okay. Um, And like, those are things that I don't think a lot of people really talk about. And I'm curious if you made like a pro and con list for going, or like, if you've ever thought about coming back to the U.S., like, what would you say the pros and cons of school abroad or traveling abroad or living abroad, all of the above? Yeah. So things have definitely changed since I've been here, but I would say that if you want to go abroad, one, make sure that your degree is transferable. That's something that's very important. Um, in England, it's like, it's a, you know, no brainer, but, um, about other countries, they may not have like that transferable sort of degree. So if you want to go back home and, you know, do something, you just need to make sure that you're able to do it. Um, another pro about coming here is, well, especially for me, this is why I didn't want to go to the university in the States, <laughs> but whatever you come to learn, that's what you're learning. There's no like bullshit classes. There's no oh, knitting one-on-one and you're studying like computer science or something like it's, it's none of that. So the education system here in England, I can only speak for, uh, is definitely different. And, um, and yeah, that's why I did a lot better. The, the university for your bachelor's is only three years, your master's are a year. Um, and that's because they cut up all that stuff. So, um, so the, those are the, co- the pros. The cons is money. Like if you don't have it, yes, you can get a loan, but you need to make sure that you have money before you come here <laughs> because if not, it's going to be difficult. Like the, and this is one thing I didn't understand until I started actually trading Forex, but um, I didn't realize that the pound to dollar was like crazy expensive back then. Like I'm talking about I think one, uh, no, no, like one pound was like a dollar seventy five or a dollar eighty back then. Now it's a lot cheaper, but I lost a lot of money, <laughs> you know, getting that converted. So that's something that that you need to like that I would say to anyone that wants to come abroad is to you know keep that in mind. Um, another con, ooh, I can't, I don't know. Like I would just say like make sure that you're open minded. Because if you're not, you're going to get yourself into situations that can be very sticky. And if you don't have anybody here um, or like friends or people that you trust, like it's going to be very difficult. So um, definitely finding that solid foundation and 
um, just having somebody that you can trust that works at a university um, is, is like really important. Um, I would say one thing with my first university and also the second one as well, uh, that the international team was like awesome. I ended up working for them, but they were so good. Like, <laughs> so it was cool. Like they, they really want to make sure that you had that support that you needed, you know? So That's, yeah, I think those were the main things. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I would say, um, just one thing that I think is a good call out just to add to what you just said is the loneliness mm-hmm. being alone. You have to learn to live with yourself. Yeah. And yes. that is a pro and a con because <laughs> in my opinion is it's like you, it's hard. It is really hard being alone, especially when you don't know anyone or you want to go yeah. out to eat or especially if you've never experienced any of that before yet you grow so much by doing something like that. And so that's why I'm like, it's a pro and a con. I can go (laughs) to the coffee shop by myself now where it used to be that I'd be like, I'm never going out. out (laughs) No, like people are going to stare. And now I'm like, fuck it. I'll go wherever I I want by myself. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I think my, my experience is slightly different because I knew how to be alone. Um, I prefer to be alone <laughs> because like, I just, it was just so much that I went through like traumatically in my friendships and relationships that I was like, nah, like I'm, I'm good. <laughs> That's yeah. why making that transition to come here was, wasn't like the end of the world. You know, I was kind of like, I was very grateful to come into a space where I could be myself finally, you know, and the people that are, that were around me at the times, uh, through every phase at every degree, um, we're just so accepting. And I needed that in my life um, because I struggled with the acceptance part, but not the lonely part. You get me? So, um, so yeah, that was definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. And we have about 15 minutes left uh, before we wrap. Was there anything you specifically wanted to go over that we haven't gone over yet? Um, wow. I think that's, oh, my coming out. I do want to talk about that right quick. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I knew at a very early age that I was not normal per se. Um, I grew up in a very like religious home. We went to church every Sunday and Wednesday, like, you know, that was that. Uh, And I remember one summer when I was, I was a teenager. I can't remember exactly how old and uh, my auntie, we're not that far apart. Like, I think we're like four or five years apart and she came out as gay. And my dad was like, you can never come to my house. He, you know, disowned her basically. And I got scared because I understood that regardless of what I was taught in church, I had these feelings and I'm like, well, if God made me in his image, like, why am I like this? You know? So just a lot of questioning. So, um, yeah, I just kind of hit that part of me for a very long time. I went through, um, being bi and I'm just like, no, I'm just, I'm not satisfied with a man. I, I, I had no desire to be with a man. Uh, and even coming here, like I had partners. Um, and again, we had to hide because either they were of a different religion and their family wouldn't accept it or they weren't out to their parents. So it was just very difficult. But one day <laughs> in August, 2019, uh, I was so nervous. And I told the girl that I was talking to at the time, like, I want to come out to my parents. And she's like, look, if they don't support you, I will. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, fill it. So 
my mom had called like they normally do. <laughs> we used to video chat, if not every day, every other day. And I was just, I remember I was sweating. Like, I don't know if my mom could see it or not. I haven't actually asked her this, <laughs> but um, she was telling me something and my head was just everywhere. Like, you got to come out. You got to come out. It's, it's time. I had come out to my brother um, about two or three years prior. And he was like, I know. So <laughs> he just kind of left it at that. He's very nonchalant anyway. Uh, and I said, mom, I got to tell you something. She was sitting in the car and my dad was in the store and she's like, what's up? And I was like, mom, I like women. <laughs> like I whispered it. <laughs> and she was like, we know, like, it's okay. Like we, we know. And that was just like, I started crying because I didn't know how this was going to come out. Like, yes, I've made, I made it from, I made a living for myself and I'm here and everything, but like not having my parents that would have you know, been a, a whole chunk of my life, like just, just gone. And so she started smiling. She's like, well, this is why I brought up that, you know, I want to go to Atlanta pride. I'm like, Oh, okay. So you were kind of, okay. I get you. <laughs> my dad gets in the car and, uh, and I was like, daddy, I gotta tell you something. And he, um, he looks like kind of, huh? <laughs> and I was like, um, yes, yeah, so I like women. And he was like, yeah, we know. And I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> like did I make it that obvious you know <laughs> um but again I felt like weight had lifted off my shoulders of course but I was like finally like after all after being depressed about this and thinking about it so hard and just not knowing where the next step was going to be all these things just came to surface and I was like no it's time and to have their support and my mom immediately was just like oh let me talk to your friend because she knew that she was there <laughs> And so she told my friends, like, yeah, we knew. Um, so you two dating and like these ones, we weren't, but at the time. But um, but yeah, it was just like, it was so good. It was nice. I'm, I'm really, really glad and grateful because a lot of people don't have that experience, um, especially being people of color. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's definitely something I'm grateful for. And that's just like a, such a heartwarming piece to touch on. And I appreciate that. And e- I think that's something that is like a best case scenario that all of us could only wish for. Mm-hmm. And that's coming out. I, I would say I, again, not my experience. Like I can't relate per se, but we all may have something to that's hindering us that we need to share that is so important that we think people are going to take it so much worse than yeah. they may or vice versa that I can only imagine for those who need to come out to their family, how difficult that is and yeah. how scary that is because there's things I've hidden from my parents and well, I got my wisdom teeth removed and I ended up telling my dad that it was like smoking mm. weed <laughs> because I was like, I was 15 at the time and I was way too scared to tell him that I ever smoked weed mm. and I ended up telling him anyway, by no means is that in any comparison, like coming out, uh, but like, that's the closest I can kind of relate to of being afraid of telling my family something. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing a good experience because as you said, not everybody has that experience. And now I'm totally going to segue in because I know we have to wrap up soon and to the audience, Hey y'all, I lost my job in January and to keep the podcast going. And if you're enjoying hearing about all this shit that we talk about every single week, please, please, please share the podcast, 
subscribe, comment, like it, subscribe to all the, you know, social medias and please donate. This is, even if it's like a dollar, you know, those dollars will add up or pounds or euros, wherever you are in the world, if I'm not mentioning your currency, because this is, I truly believe in this podcast and it's something that I'm not going to be able to afford to keep going unless I get the help of all of our listeners. So uh, on that note, uh, to move on, what are some words of wisdom for the audience? Well, um, it has been hard. We get it these past few years, um, not only losing my father, but going through school through COVID. Listen, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're going to make it. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Whoever it is that you believe in, or if you don't believe in somebody, like you're going to be taken care of, I promise you. Just keep putting good karma out, um, do things from your heart, and it's always going to come back to you positively. I like it. And uh, how do people reach out to you? Uh, Definitely Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm kind of funny with LinkedIn. (laughs) But yeah, so Instagram is where to find me. I do a lot of posting, uh, not only my projects, but if anybody needs to get up with me about something or they need like a confident boost or some support, I got you. So you can reach me on Instagram. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to drop a link somewhere. Yeah, but we'll definitely drop links, but please okay, say cool. it just so that way people hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's when I choose the shay. All right. And what is something that you're grateful for? Okay. I don't want to be sad ending this, but <laughs> I am grateful for my family. Um, I'm not very close with my cousins or anything outside of my mom and my brother. Rest in peace to my dad. Um even through these trying times and also being here abroad, they have been my backbone, like in everything. And not only am I grateful for them, but I'm grateful for the people that can count on one hand (laughs) for being there to support me, for being there through my depression episodes um, and just telling me I'm proud, telling me that they're proud of me. That's what I'm grateful for. That hits home. And Thank you for sharing. Um, something that I'm grateful for is, oh, definitely just learning to be comfortable with myself. Mm-hmm. I am a very, very curious being. I love my purple hair and mm-hmm. asking a gazillion questions and uh, wearing bright, sparkly gold overalls because. I just love them. And it's taken me years to go, I'm worth it to be able to be like that. And like that was always me. I was just too afraid to be that way. And I'm, I'm grateful that I am becoming me and sharing it with the world. Uh, I love this for you. I do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And money. Thank you for being on the show today and talk soon. All right. Thanks, Jen. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Hello again, beautiful human. What did you get out of today's episode? We'd love to hear what was most impactful to you. We all know someone that could have really used this episode. So please send it their way. Remind them that they're not alone. Stay tuned for new episodes every Wednesday. Here's a few ways that we could really use your support to keep shit you don't want to talk about going. Share an episode. Let's get the message out there. 
donate on PayPal or Patreon, subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or Spotify, and follow us on social media, shit to talk about, shit, the number two, talk about. Bye.